Yes! People, it's a new week, which means it's another echo chamber coming at you. And um, yeah, we got a yeah, it's a good episode, people. We're covering a lot of shit, but as we do, you know what I mean? Let's start off for the UK cinema box office top 10 for the weekend of the 14th to the 16th of January. At number 10 is the new one from Simon Kinberg. It's The 355. All right, written by uh, Beck Smith, Kinberg, and Teresa Reddick. So Jessica Chistain, Lapita Nunguna, Diana Kruger, Penelope Cruz, Sebastian Stan, Edgar Ramirez, and uh, Bing Ding Fan. Okay, we spoke about that a couple of weeks back, people. I very much enjoyed it. So, yeah. At number nine, it's the Ridley Scott piece, House of Gucci. So weird, something on my glasses. Yes, so this one has an this one also another big cast: Salma Hayek, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Al Pacino, Lady Gaga, Jeremy Irons, and all. At number eight, again, we spoke about this a few weeks ago. It is Encanto, the new um, new one from Disney. Right, uh, little Colombian flavor people. So, this was from Jared Bush, Byron Howard, and uh, Carissi Castro Smith. And yeah, if you like your Disney things, people, I think you'll enjoy that one. You know, I mean, I, I liked it, I really, I very much did. At number seven, it's the return, right. Swallow that blue pill, or is it the red one? I forget. But it's The Matrix Resurrection from Lana Waskowski. Got Keanu Reeves. We got Carrie Ann Moss, Jessica Chistain, uh, Christina Ritchie. You know what I mean? Jada Pinkett Smith. It's a big cast, people. It's a big cast, right? So, our number six film. Right, it is a West Side story from old Stevie Boy Spielberg, you know, Ansel Egert, Richard Ziegler, you know, what I mean, and a big cast. So, we are now into our top five, 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 and at number five, people, is the new Paul Thomas Anderson film, Licorice Pizza. Which I do want to see. It's a friend's birthday. So, you know what I mean? I've got to suggest a film. I might suggest that one. Yeah. <laughs> we got Alana Haim, uh, Cooper Kaufman, Sean Penn, Tom Watts. Man, I, I've just heard good things about the flick. So, at number four is Clifford the Big Red Dog. You know, from well, Walt Beaker. At number three, people, it is the prequel, Matthew Vaughn Goes to the Beginning 
of the whole King's Man legacy with the King's Man. Gemma Atherton, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Matthew Good, Ralph Fiennes, Daniel Brule, Stanley Tucci, Charles Dance, Tom Hollander. What a cast, right? Damn. So at number two, we've got a, a, another revisiting to a franchise. It is the fourth, or is it the fifth? I think it might be the fifth iteration of Scream. So this is from Tyler Gillett and Matt uh, Betnor-Ulpin, uh, starring Neve Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette. You know what I mean? The crew are back. But our number one film of the week, it is Spider-Man No Way Home. John Watts does it again with the trilogy. Zeander, Tom Holland, Benedict Cumberbunch, Marissa Tomei, John Favreau, J.K. Simmons, William Dafoe. Boy, oh man, I can't wait to see it. Oh, you know what I mean? Ah, oh, shit, I need to get to the cinema, people. <laughs> I need money. Fuck. Okay, well, that's our top 10. Let's get into this week's films. Buckle up, people. Let's fucking go. Okay, people, let's get it popping with our first film, Brazen. Okay, so, man, <laughs> sometimes you make terrible decisions, right? I, I decided to check out Brazen, the new... Netflix film because right I was looking for something a bit similar to the 2018 film A Simple Flavor right because that was a lot of I really enjoyed that film it you know I mean it was a a thriller it was a little goofy there was twists but it was enjoyable and you know I mean like one of those little clips popped up of Brazen on Netflix, right? And I was like, I mean, plot-wise, a little goofy, but let, yeah, let's see. It could be, it could be similar. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> All right, so it is directed by Monica Mitchell. Um, it is written by. Edith Swenson, Donald Martin, and Su Suzette Couture, right? And it's based on a, a book by Nora Roberts called Brazen Virtue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, if I'd known that, I would have just, whoo, steer clear. But uh, yeah, it is produced by Stephanie Germain, Peter Goober, and Peter E. Strauss. Co-produced by Ariel Port and Adam Voghel. Music is James Janderstrich and Jeff Timushkrishk. 
It is edited by Christopher A. Smith. Casting is Kate Geller. Production design, Sean Kirby. And art direction, Jason Ray. So, our cast. We have got um, Kathleen, a.k.a. Desiree, played by Emily Ulrup. Her sister, Grace, played by Alyssa Milano. We have Ed, uh, the detective, right? Um, he is played by Sam Page. He's a partner. I was like, oh, what do you call it? The person you work with? Yeah, he, his partner in the force is Ben, played by Malachi Weir. Right? Um, their boss, Captain Riviera, is played by Alison Araya. Um, the, the janitor at the school where Kathleen works, Billy, is played by Aaron Paul Stewart. Uh, his mum is played by Nikki Bryce. Uh, who the fuck else is um, oh, mentioning? Uh, we have Senator Baxter played by Colleen uh, Wheeler. Um, Her son, Gerald, is played by Matthew Finland. Um, we have Rand Morgan, played by Daniel Dima. He goes to school with Gerald. His dad, Paul Morgan, is played by Barry W. Levy. Uh, we have Stacy White, played by Lucen Chambers. Uh, Lisa Clark, played by April Tellick. Richie, played by Jack Armstrong. Lawrence, played by Matt Bula. Mm, I, yeah, I, I would say that's probably it. Right, they're the, they're the main peoples. And the gist of the story is this. After a demanding book tour, superstar mystery novelist Grace McCabe decides to visit her sister Kathleen, who's embroiled in a custody battle after a bitter divorce. Arriving in D.C., Grace is shocked to find Kathleen living in a rundown neighborhood and hoping to afford a hotshot lawyer supplementing her meager teacher's salary by moonlighting as a phone sex superstar. Right? I say a meager. Like, teachers aren't horribly played. <laughs> like, you could say, oh, you know what I mean? Do they deserve more? Who the fuck knows? But I think mean, to say meager is a little... Anyway, that's by the by. Anyway, getting back, right? Uh, according to Kathleen, Fantasy Inc. guarantees its employees ironclad anonymity, 
but Grace has her doubts, which are confirmed one horrifying cherry blossom scented night when one of Fantasy Inc.'s operators is murdered. As Grace is drawn to help solve the crime, her life turns into a scene from one of her own books. Yet, as one of her biggest fans, investigator Ed Jackson warns her, this isn't fiction. <laughs> Real people die, and Grace could be next. For she's setting a trap for a killer more twisted than anything she could imagine. <laughs> and not even Ed may be able to protect her from a rendezvous with Lost and Dare. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I mean... That synopsis is, boy, that, that's online with this goddamn movie plot. <laughs> because, oh, man, I didn't enjoy this. I didn't enjoy it. I mean, what can I say, right? I mean, it was a nothing like a simple flavor. <laughs> I, I, will, I will tell you that from the giddy up, right? I mean, the big things for me. Firstly, the writing is horrendous. The writing is very bad. Oh my gosh, it is just, it, it's not good writing. The story makes no sense, right? Story makes no sense, right? There's a scene where Grace turns up at the police station and, um, you know, she wants she wants Ed to give her information. And the police chief, Riviera, calls him into the office. And she's just like, Grace, I love all your books. I read every single one from, you know, front to back. Which, always a weird thing when people say, because, you know, that's how you read a fucking book. Yes, I know. In China, Japan, one of those... The books are the other way around. But you're reading it from the first page to the last page, right? That's how you finish a book, unless you'd be like, I couldn't finish that book, right? It's the same from front to back. It's a stupid, it's a stupid expression. Anyway, tangent. That's what, so she says this, but then she's like, but I don't think you can help with this case, right? I've looked into you. I know everything about you, but I don't think you'll help with the case. Grace is just like, oh, I helped with the NYPD. I helped them solve the case. And she's like, you know what? You're on the case. It's just like, wait, what? <laughs> you said you looked into her. You read all her books, all of this, but you don't want it. She says one thing and then you're like, oh, you're on the case. <laughs> it was stupid right it just made no sense because it, you you could be like oh you know what I, mean? I like your books but i don't think you could help and she's like oh but i helped you but huh i didn't know that he'd be like okay come on board right but it's just like you know she's a writer and it's just like you're one of the best profilers in the game it's like being a profiler and a novelist are two different things Right, two fucking different things, but that is you know, just part at the very beginning when we first meet Ed, he goes into a store to buy coffee, 
right? And then we get a uh, a stick up, right? Stick up. He, you know, tackles the guy. This is at the very bit. It's not a spoiler, people. He tackles the guy, right? His partner walks into the room, into the, you know, shop, and he's just like, hey, sees him on the ground tackling this guy, like tussling with him. He's like, hey, where's my coffee? He also, did he pay for the coffee? He's just like, what, what the fuck is, come on. It was just stupid. It was dumb, right? You Now, you could have that if you really want that shitty dialogue. You could have it, but at least have him like, hey, take my cups. I've, I've got my gun on him. Cover him up and be like, man, you're always getting in trouble. Have you at least got my coffee? You mean something that makes more sense. But just to be like, you know, it was stupid. It was stupid. And it's a, it basically set the tone for everything that we see. Right? There, there was a scene where, um, you know, they're trying to track down the killer. And they, they go to arrest someone. And they're like, hey, what about this? And, you know, someone's like, hey, everyone in this thing has that thing. Right? Which is key. And you'd think... Right, that then narrows down a line of interrogation. They don't do it. They don't follow. You're just like, wait, this information is given, which then gives you a a clear lane into who may do it, who may have done these things, but you're not following that up. Right? It was, I, I, and essentially. You know who did it from the giddy. Like, there's a thing that the, the acting and just the dialogue is so bad. It's transparent who does it, who's, you know, who's behind everything. That's the thing, right? The, at the start, when we have Grace meet Ed, right? He's working outside, chopping wood. And she's just like, she she looks out the window. She's like, hey, you with the chainsaw. And he's just like, I've got one more bit to cut. And then she's like, okay. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, if you go, firstly, you could shut the window, right? That, that, that could be the first thing. Like, it's not like, you know, I mean, she, she opened the window to shout out with intention. There was nothing there. So it's this pointless thing. Then you have her go, oh, I'm going to make him coffee and go talk to him. And it's just like, bringing him coffee is weird. Because it's like, oh, I'm assuming that you don't have coffee, right? It's like, you're, you're working outside a house, which you don't know he doesn't own, right? And even if he doesn't own the house, he's just a workman the owners of the house would be providing him with shit. So bringing coffee was a, a weird, it's a weird fucking thing. And the, the fact being, you don't know how someone takes their coffee. Some people have milk, some people have black, some people have honey, some people have sugar, like flavoring, syrups, there's all, some people don't drink coffee. 
Some people are strictly key. Some people don't do caffeine. Like, it's a weird thing. And then when she's like, oh, I Googled you. And he's just like, what? And the fact he, oh, he comes up straight. It was just horrible. The interactions were horrible. And I just, there was no sense of connection, right? You didn't feel, oh, these two people are falling in love. Or even Kathleen and Grace, right? That interaction, you wouldn't go look at it and go, oh, man, yeah, these feel like sisters, right? It just was very forced to be like, oh, what are you doing? I didn't expect you here so soon. <laughs> it was just, ugh, so robotic. They're always wearing makeup. So you ever seen when they're in, in like, it's late. Supposedly one, one's crying. Still perfect makeup, right? No no streaks or anything like that. Then they get into bed and be like, okay, I'm going to sleep with you tonight. Ah, oh, falling asleep. All in, like, these full robes. And it's like, no one's sleeping like that. What the fuck are we doing here? Come on, man. Right? What are we doing? Like, the, the scenes, the interactions, it doesn't, nothing felt real, right? Riviera was a, like, everyone's a cliche. Riviera was a straight cliche. It was just like, I'm a woman in charge. Oh, you have to call me, you know, boss. Like, you have the, 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 the officer leave. He's like, okay, ma'am, I'll do that. And she's like, it's like, sorry, Captain, ma'am. And it's just like, who, like, if he left the room being rude, you could understand. And you're assuming they worked together for a long time here, right? So no one's doing these weird corrections, right? It's the, the way she's doing it, like running it. It was just, you know, just this weird weird dynamic right listen we've seen women as bosses ceos all of is it's not like whoa a woman police chief that's crazy i mean look there was a woman chief in fucking dexter in castle you know what i mean in so many of these police shows right you're not breaking down boundaries Hey, so you don't have to kind of write in this weird way. Ugh. I, yeah, I'm just, I just, I mean, this wasn't for me, right? This was for your Mills and Boo audience, right? For people that consume, you know, the, that, that literature where you've got a, a shirtless dude on the front cover chopping wood, right? Or or taking off his, you know, you know, shitty. Or it just you've just got the shot of the abs. So just it, it was for motherfuckers that read those books, right? You know what? Hey, you might not like the stuff I read, so it's fine. Whatever. If you like Fifty Shades, all of that. If you like, as I said, Mills and Boom, I think Brazen is probably your thing. It it just wasn't mine. <laughs> you hey, hey, another thing they do, right? So, firstly, 
they, they, this whole setup with the sister, Kathleen, right? She's like, I think my ex-husband is going to try and stop me getting custody of my son, saying I'm a bad mother. And he's like, yeah, but you said you were a pill addict, right? So you probably were, right? But the, here's the thing. You know, we all go through periods of time when something might be shitty. It, no, so, hey, during this period of time when you were a dirty addict, yeah, you were probably a shitty mother. But it doesn't mean you're always going to be a shitty mother, right? So if you just had the story like, oh, I wasn't an addict, I've cleaned up my act, and now I want to show that I can be the mother that the kid deserves, boom, fine. That's fine. But yeah, this weird narrative they're trying to play. But they have, oh, I cleaned up my act and now I'm a teacher. Right? There's these weird things. And we have seen people can't get jobs after certain info gets out. So it's just like, oh, so she's just going to be a teacher. Right? She wasn't a teacher before, but now she's all of a sudden she's a teacher. And the best teacher there, the the one teacher the kids can like. <laughs> you're just like, oh my gosh. And then when you know, in her other boss is talking, she's like, hey, you know, desire was the best we had. Everyone, and you're just like, oh, do we have to always write people as, oh, they're the best teacher, they're the best exotic dancer, they're the best at this. It's so cliche and lazy. It's lazy. It's like you can't write nuance. You know what I mean? Anyway, people, yeah, this wasn't for me. Wasn't for me. It might be for you. So, Brazen, it's based on Brazen Virtue. Horrible book title. Horrible book title. But, yo, it's on Netflix, people. You might enjoy it. So there you go. All right, people. It's the first of our Shudder exclusives. Get ready for the last thing Mary saw. Okay, so we have a new Shudder horror film dropping this week people and it is called the last thing mary saw the the, the title just reminds me of jimmy hendrick that's that's all i think of when i hear that title you know what i mean um it's actually the feature directorial debut from edardo vitale vitaletti who wrote um, and directed this feature. You know, it is produced by Harrison Allen, uh, Isson Robbins, Amy Schmoff, Madeline Schumacher, and Stephen Tedeschi, with Scoop Wasterstein, Karen Redstone, Mike Nichols and Joseph Michael Alagna executive producing. Keegan DeWitt handles the music. David Kruter is on cinematography. 
Matthew C. Hart handles the editing. Um, Kate Geller is casting. Production design was Charlie Chaspuli Robinson and Tiffany Stoker on art direction. Our cast. Well, Mary, you know, as she's in the title, she is played by Stephanie Scott. Uh, we've then got Eleanor, the maid, played by Isabel Foreman. Um, the matriarch of the family is played by Judith Roberts. Uh, then we've got Agnes, who's played by Caroline McCormick. Um, Eustace, the head of the family. Tommy Buck, he plays him. Eustace's son is played by Shane Kofi. Um, we have Randolph, who is played by Michael Lawrence. Um, Anne, who is played by Dawn McGee. Theodore, the uh, guard of the house grounds. He's played by P.J. Sosko. Um, we have the interrogator, played by Daniel Pierce. Oh, their son, Matthew, is played by Elijah Raymond. Um, the grandfather is played by Stephen Lee Anderson. So deputy number one is played by Philip Hoffman. Deputy number two is played by Matthew Stanner. Uh, deputy number three is played by Sebastian Beacon. Uh, we then have... The Interrogator, played by Daniel Pierce. And our intruder is played by Rory Culkin. So, yes. Now, the gist of the story is this. Okay. South Hold, New York, 1943. Young Mary, blood trickling from behind the blindfold tied around her eyes, is interrogated about the events surrounding her grandmother's death. As the story jumps back in time, we witness Mary raised in a repressively religious household, finding fleeting happiness in the arms of Eleanor, the home's maid. Her family, who believe they are seeing, speaking and acting on God's behalf, view the girl's relationship as an abomination to be dealt with as severely as possible. The couple attempt to carry on in secret, but someone is always watching or listening. 
and the wages of perceived sin threaten to become death, with the tension only heightened by the arrival of an enigmatic, egg, enigmatic stranger. I don't really say that, but hey-ho. Um, and the revelation of greater forces at work. So, yes, that is the film, people. And, yeah, it's, it is interesting, right? I think because we get these time jumps and everything like that. Now, you know, it, like, it starts in an okay way, right? We see Mary... Um, holding a book and, and there and yeah she's getting asked questions right and that's when we kind of jump back in time now the one thing is we see the blood kind of coming down her face here now later in the story it seems that there is a day gap which then does make me ask the question. I don't believe there'd be blood running down the face after a day. <laughs> you know, I'm no doctor, but I don't think it's going to be bleeding, you know what I mean, for over 24 hours. That seems a little crazy. But, yeah, we, we jump back. And, yeah, it, it's like Mary and Eleanor, they like each other, right? As I said, it's a it's a deeply religious household or a crazy house. Um, and they see it's a sin. Ah. Now, I will say the these girls, I they get we, we see them get in trouble the first time, right? And they don't really do a great job of sneaking their sneaking is just mad flawed you're like yo if this shit is going down if you're getting punished or they call it corrections you know what I mean for being caught y'all be keeping your shit mad fleeting right so a little kiss you know what I mean maybe you do a little ting ting Right, but then you're not lying in each other's arms, be like, read me a story. Like you, you've been they're not discreet, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, I feel bad. I feel bad for the shit they went through, but I'm like, yo, you gotta do better, man. You can't be taking that much time. Come on, you know, it's a little crazy. It is a little crazy. But um, there, there were kind of scenes, because it is a very dark film in, in the way it's lit. Right? And certain places darker than others. So I think there was certain things that I don't think were necessarily overly clear. Like we, we see the girls kneeling and it looks like they're in pain. And it's just like, why are they in pain? Like what? And when Elena, no, Mary gets up, we see her knees, and it looks. I was like, "All right, what, what's happening here? I don't know." And it's not until a bit later in the film 
that we then kind of learn it's not so much learn what they nail on but it's alluded to with a statement about something else so you think oh it must have been that okay right got it but it, it's not clear you know and i think that's what, there are elements of the film that aren't necessarily clear you know because as the film, right, in the synopsis where it says, oh, and we learn a greater force is involved, right? Again, I don't necessarily think that is overly clear, right? There, there's things that happen that you then go, okay, but if that's a thing, then why is this person not? shocked like where is that because if it is you know supernatural uh, however you want to say it you'd think there would be a level of yeah shock or you know fear but that's not necessarily evident right I, I will say there is definitely tension here right there's definitely tension in the story I, I could have done without the mood music ain't gonna lie but yeah the, you know fear and that kind of thing not so much I think um like although I think you look at the things that happen to Eleanor and Mary, and you feel bad for them. You don't necessarily feel that attachment to the characters, right? No one really has a lot of depth. So it's all surface level, you know, the emotions that you have for these people. Which is a shame, right? Because you think, ah, if, if there was more, if, 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 you know what I mean, I was pulled into these moments a little bit more, I think it would hit home harder. But I didn't necessarily feel that, you know? Not to say the act, the acting is solid. The acting is definitely solid. I think... You, you feel a lot of the emotion that is there between Mary and Eleanor. You feel that, you know, some of the shock and stuff like that, but that, nothing else, you know? Don't really feel that other stuff, you know? Like, the whole intruder thing, it, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. Right, especially when you tie in stuff with Theodore, right? Because you kind of then question some later on things, and you're like, "But why?" You know. So all of that, but I think one big thing that does become a little bit like, "Hmm," is at the very end. Right, that the interrogation that we see more of, you're really like, 
All right, but we we see what happens, which you kind of feel there would be a lot of questions, right? And it's hard to then hold on one per like with everything. You'd be like, uh, but there was gunshots. Like, what about that, right? What about bum bum bum? You know what I mean? There's all this other stuff that you're kind of like. What about, like, who answers for that stuff? You know what I mean? What was all of that? Right? So, I don't know. It, it's an in, it's interesting, and it's not a bad directorial debut. You know what I mean? Because there's definitely a lot of promise here. Definitely. For sure. But it's not... <sighs> Like, there's elements of this film that kind of reminded me of um, The Power, right? Another Shudder piece, which is, you know, the one set in the hospital, right? Um, Just for the feel, like, and some of the tone of the film, right? And all of that. But Power had a more, I mean, complete story that made sense in the telling but with um the last thing mary saw it did seem that there are gaps you know what i mean there, there are things here that maybe they were lost on the editing floor or maybe it just wasn't there in the story in the first place but there are these things that you're like okay but what about this and this all right and how do we get from that to that and why would that person do this thing, right? After they did that and that and that. So, yeah, that, that was the only thing with this story for me. But I will say, you know what I mean? It's not terrible, right? It, it, it's definitely not terrible. And as I said, for a directorial debut, it's not bad at all. There is a lot of promise here. So I'm interested to see what Eduardo does next. But with this, I wouldn't say it's the strongest thing on Shudder. But again, it's not the worst thing on Shudder. You know, if you like your period pieces, then I think, you know, this, yeah, you you will, I'd say you probably will enjoy it. You know, I would, um, oh, yeah, if we're looking at, you know, shutter titles. Then, as I said, look, um, the power is definitely something that it kind of stands by. Um, I would also, hmm, I would also kind of think, right, if you like stuff like, like Sun is another kind of tonally similar piece. Um, But it's not as strong as those films. You know? Like, um, I think it's, it's a little similar to the strings. You know what I mean? So I think if you enjoy those films... Right, or the reckoning, 
Um, though I do think it's probably a little stronger than The Reckoning. So I think if you liked The Reckoning, then this does balance out, right? I, I, I think, yeah, I think they're good reference points, people. But as I said, look, it's dropping on Shudder this week, today even. So, um, yeah, there you go, people. The last thing, Mary saw. Okay, so we are sticking with Shutter for this interesting one. It is the runner. Okay, so man, I, I found this um new short on Shudder. It's called The Runner, and it is very interesting, right? It's just 39 minutes, right? 39 minutes, and it is from a band called Boy Harsha, and then Boy Harsha is made up of two people, Jay Matthews and Augustus Muller. So Jay, she's the vocalist, and Augustus, he, um, he handles the boards, as it were, right? Um... So, yeah, they write, direct, and produce the piece, along with um, Daniel April, uh, Dan Fek, Fefk, uh, Tenya Kelleher. Uh, they also produce the film, along with um, Matthews and Muller. Um yeah, obviously, right? Matthews and Muller, their band does the music. The cinematography is from Daniel Debre. Um, it's edited by Matthews and Muller. Um, Matthews handled the casting. Uh, production design is Luke Carr and Chaz Foggy. Makeup was Jared Baluk. Um, sound was Killian Brum, special effects, Jared Balug. Um, and they were also helped out by Maziro Bagu, um, Jordan Romaro, Mattia Simvich. So, yeah, that, that that's that. And the gist is this, right? A strange woman travels to a secluded rural town where her violent compulsions are slowly revealed. So it's all very, it's all very intriguing. And we open up, right, in, in this room. It's a dark room and there's a TV playing. And a TV has a woman singing. Right, Jay Matthews, the band, Boy Harsha, they're performing, right? And so we're, 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 the camera's slowly moving through the room, and we don't really see what's in the room. But if you pay attention, there's reflections in the window, which shows you someone in a seat, right? So the music's playing, and we have the band. Then... We, we have a, a woman running, right? A woman running through the uh, 
Through a forest. Oh, yeah. I just realised. Um, I did not let you know who's actually um, in the piece. <laughs> so the woman running is Chris Isfandari. Uh, we also have Sigrid Lauren and Cooper B. Handy. Uh, yeah, they're our main kind of people in the uh, in the story. And so, yeah, we, we kind of see this woman running, right? And she kind of does the platoon thing, like drop to the knees and be like, ah, which then fits into the song. Because we don't actually, yeah, we don't see this woman talk, right? But it's the visuals that really bring it to life, that you can kind of guess what's being said, what's being thought through the music and then just the scenes, right? Because we, we see her go to a house where um, Cooper B is, right? He runs off as soon as he sees her. But she, may, she, you know, when she enters, and you're wondering, what the fuck? But you kind of figure, I think he must know her, right? And then she is going through the house, and she, she uncovers something, and you think, oh, okay, right? And, you know what I mean? There's these few things that she finds, and I think it tells a bit of a story, right? And, and although we don't know what the fuck happened to this woman, right? You kind of think, all right, I'd be a little bit pissed if what these things are are what you might think these things are. You feel me? Right? So, yeah, you, we see a hitchhiking, gets in a car. But there, there, there's things we don't see, but then you presume that's what's going down. Right? But, yeah, she, she you know, she goes to a town, um, goes into a bar, right? And all of this is narrated to us, essentially, from the music from the band, right? And what's fun is, so when we see them on TV, that's not just a random thing, because while we're seeing these other things take place, right, we then go to back to the TV, and it's essentially a public access channel, right? So you have a, a woman kind of presenting... And she's like, hey, now we're seeing the band in studio. So we see Boy Harsha performing, right, S some of the songs. But then we kind of get little behind the scenes, you know, of the, the you know, the dance routines. And we also get these little bits of interviews with Muller talking about, you know, how he kind of got into things and then Matthews on just what she envisions the woman is, right? So we kind of get those takeaways, which are very intriguing, amongst all this other stuff, right? The woman presenting, it gives you that kind of 80s, you know what I mean, late night TV feel, you know? Um, but yeah, we've got all these visuals happening, and it is 
it's intriguing, man. And so much is getting said with no dialogue, right? Which is always just, it's a difficult thing to do. Not everyone can do this, but I feel they do it very well, right? Now, we don't, we don't really get answers to everything that went down, you know, what might be causing this woman's actions other than this discovery at the start. But it doesn't really matter, you know what I mean? Because, like, this little, because it's 38, 39 minutes, so it's not crazy long. But it's long enough to kind of suck you in, suck you in and just, man, just create this visual kind of experience, which is, it's very enjoyable. And I will say, like, this is the first time I've come across Boy Harsha. But just from this, I would be interested to listen to more of their stuff. You know what I mean? So obviously I'm going on iTunes after this. I'm going to listen through my Apple Music, you feel me? But also, the direct, it, it's very well done. So, you know what I mean? You'd be like, I, I'd like more stuff like this. You know what I mean? I'd like, yeah, I'd be down to see more stories, more visual sonic stories from Boy Harsha. So, it is out now on Shudder. It's called the runner and it's different people but different is not a bad thing it is very very enjoyable so if you like kind of experimental stuff kind of feel that the runner is going to be okay people so we are ending with uh, this new indie flick, a first-time one, and it's pretty good. It's pretty great. It is Home. Okay, so I was very intrigued by this new film, right? It is called Home. So it's a little bit of a generic title, right? And you see the poster, and it's just... You know, a dude in a tracksuit. He looks like one of the um, one of the bros from Hawkeye, right? He's in a tracksuit smoking a cigarette. It's very nondescript, right? There's there's not a lot that you can really gauge from this. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you look at a post and be like, oh, that's intriguing, or oh, it looks like it's gonna be a thriller or a horror. You know what I mean? This one, no. As I said, look, you, there's not a lot you can take from it. But when you look at the cast, right? You look at the director, it's definitely intriguing, you know? So this is a written and directed. By Franca Potent. I feel that's how you say it. P-O-T-E-N-T-E. -E. Yeah, let's say Franca Potent. You um listen, she's been in a lot of films, run Lola Run. She's the you know what I mean she's Marie, 
right? The love interest in the uh, born identity. Um, and then, uh, is this born supremacy? I feel born supremacy was then the next one, right? Where, um, you know, eh, it doesn't go too well for her, but she's in those films, right? So this is her um, feature directorial debut. And she's, like, when you look, she's directed another, a, a short film, Digging for Belladonna, but that was in 2006, right? She wrote that one as well. So when you, a lot of the time, you know what I mean? People have produced a lot of short films before the feature. So the fact that one short, right, one short 15 years ago, and now she does this, that's intriguing, you know what I mean? Uh, so it is produced by Jan Jonas Katzenstein, Maximilian Leo, um, co-produced by Leontine Petit, uh, Christian Gumpfer, David Grumbach, and, well, Chevy Chen and Eric Gingis with Utra Amil Fink, uh, John Michaels, Andrew Sugarman, and Harris Tolchin, executive producing. The music is from Volker Bertelman and Raphael Seyfried. Cinematography is Frank Gribby. It's edited by Antij Zinaga. Casting was uh, Nancy Foy. Uh, production design, Cora Pratt. Now, our cast. Well, we have um, the great Kathy Bates. She plays Bernadette. And that is the mother to Marvin, played by Jake McLaughlin. Um, then there is Aislin Francisci, who plays Delta, right? Her, um, her cousin, Russell, is played by James Jordan. Uh, we've got, um, Jaden, who is played by Lil Ray Howry which was definitely an interesting one, right? Stephen Root plays Father Browning. Uh, we have Samantha Clay plays Kaylin. Um, Brian Vale plays Katie. That's uh, Delta's friend. Um, we've got Rich Hutchman as Ron. Chelsea Gonzalez as Mindy. Uh, C.J. Hoff as Ricky Flintow, um, James Croak as Caleb Flintow, and Kale Clausen as Aiden Flintow. They're Russell's cousins. There's Wade, who's played by Derek Richardson, and that is um, a friend of Marvin's. 
And there's a doctor who's played by Paul Cassell. Um, they're kind of our main group. Nancy, played by Gwen Van Damme. Uh, Nurse Sarah, played by Algerita Wynn. Uh, Noreen, played by Carolyn Luna. Yeah, that, that that that's our our main group, I would say. All right, and the gist of the film is this: an ex-felon returns home from prison and must confront the demons of his past. So, yeah, it's you know what I mean. There's not even a lot in that, and this film, it's not it's not action packed. Right, it's um, it's a little slice of life uh, feature here, you know, and man, it it starts like it starts off, and we've got Marvin on his skateboard, right, skating down, you know, a dusty road. So you're just like, hmm, okay, all right, where's it going? And I'd say from the giddy up, I, I was drawn in because we have this, com like he drives past a diner, he goes in, and then we see him smoking outside with, um, I, I think, believe it is Kalen, right? He, he, we see him smoking outside. And just that interaction, oh man, that interaction was just like, it wasn't a crazy one, right? Because you know, they're smoking, and then she's just like, do you want to make out? I mean, we could fuck if there's time. And then he, Marvin's just like, oh, no, nah, I've got to go. And then it's just like, oh, not, not for any other reason. I just got to get home. Like, you're, you're pretty enough. It's just, I've got to... And it was just this awkward interaction, and you just saw the... Like, it, it wasn't, like, dejection on Kaylin's face, but there's just this kind of acceptance of the situation. Like, neither of them are, like, happy. It's just this thing, and it, but it just felt very natural and real, right? Awkward. And that, I think that speaks a lot, right? Capturing a moment like that, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. There's a many films that we watch and like these big moments are handled really well, but the, 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 the minutiae of life, right? The, these inner footstep moments, those sometimes feel real clunky. So when, when you see that that is handled in a particular way, it, it gives you confidence in the film, in the script, right? In everything that you're you're gonna be seeing. And it 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 lets you believe, right? Because this is the thing. You want to be able to believe in the moments, in everything that's going down. So we we then see him speaking with um, you know. Father Browning, right? A another kind of a weird, awkward situation. But again, it just felt 
natural. And so the gist is, you know, he went to prison for killing someone, right? A grandmother to Russell and Delta. And he's been in jail 17 years. You know, he, he's nearly 40. So he went in like probably 18, 19, maybe 20. You know what I mean? He, he spent most half his life so far in jail, essentially. And so we have like these other moments where he's talking about stuff, but he, you know, he's out of the loop. He doesn't know things have changed. Right. There was this this moment where, um, yeah, a, a picture is taken on a phone and they're like, oh, man, that was so quick. Look at that. Or he's talking with Wade and it's just like, hey, Wade, I oh, remember that band. Do you still have their CD? It's just like, yo, we don't do CDs now. Right. It's this. And so it's these little moments right, that build into the film, you know, and it doesn't take these easy routes through this story, like there's a confrontation, and a point you think, ah, oh, okay, we're gonna, he's been in jail, we're gonna have him, like, fuck everyone, but no, that doesn't go down, it doesn't go down like that, so all these interactions, you'd be like, yeah, no, I believe, you know, I believe this, right? Just the the weird situation at the start of the petrol station. You know, like, like that kind of, it, it lets you know the, um, you know, the way the community is feeling about Marvin's return, you know? Kathy Bates was fantastic. Like, everyone really did a great job here. You know what I mean? Like, these performances, you just, as I said, look, they just felt so real. Like, this was so believable. So believable. And it has to be, right? These performances have to be tight because the way the story goes right, looking at these interactions, these relationships, you wouldn't buy it otherwise, you know? Now, it, it kind of, now, <laughs> when I say this, right, it reminded me a little of Monster's Ball, and not because it's a similar story or anything like that, but it was just the this situation that you just think, on paper, it's like, fuck, how could this happen? But with the way the story unfolds and the way we see everything, you can definitely see how it happened. This is very believable. But unlike, you know, because the thing I'm, with Monster's Ball, I didn't really buy it. There didn't seem enough time to establish this change of mind but with this right we see it from the start like little conversations between delta and russell you know and she's just like i was a little kid i don't really remember 
you know, so we see all of these different things. And so as the story goes, you'll be like, okay, yeah, no, I can, I can see that. Even decisions that get made and then maybe the regret of making those decisions, all of that is here. All of that is here. And as I said, uh, you know, potent for a first time feature, she just handles this material with such deft. You know what I mean? Like, it's not too heavy, right? It's not too heavy, and it's not too light. You know what I mean? Like, we get a little dark with some conversations, right? We get the hatred and the, you know what I mean? Just the resentment here. It is all there. But also, like, we don't necessarily get the full story on situations, right? We don't go into, well, it happened because of this and this. And this. Now, we do feel that there is more to it than, you know, we necessarily hear. But that doesn't matter. We don't need the detail because everything, all the all the breadcrumbs, all the fragments, it's enough to relay these emotions to us, right? It's enough to set the stage for what we are watching here. You know, it, it, it's, it's a very good film, right? It, it, it really, really is. You know, it also kind of reminded me of the, uh, I think it was a Sarah, I, I believe it's Sarah Polly. I want to say Sarah Polly, right? She she made a film um, which, oh God, I, you know, I'm trying to remember what the frig the film was called, but My Life Without Me, that's it which is just this heartfelt, just really uh, raw film. And again, not a whole lot. It's not action-packed. Not a whole lot actually happens. But we're, you know, following the interactions of these characters and over this really sad thing that's about to go down. And that's like home. Right, that that's what home is. It's this snapshot into these people's lives at this really raw moment, right? Where the past is intersecting with the current future. No, the current present day. <laughs> it couldn't be the current future because that makes no sense, right? But it's this intersection which leads into what is next. And they don't make any grand, you know what I mean, statements or put people on a certain path or anything. There's things that are, are said, there are things that are hinted, but that's it. And you just think, yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad they went that way. I'm glad it didn't end in this certain way, or we didn't see these characters do certain things, you know? Everything is, is very believable. It's very raw, and 
it is a very good film, people. It really is. I listen. I definitely recommend it. Right? I definitely recommend it. Um. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because sometimes you read the statements from the distribution people and you just be like, <laughs> of course you're going to say that. But, right, um, you know, light bulb uh, distribution, right, their uh, acquisition managers, director even, said... Home is the gripping debut feature from Franke Potente. We were blown away by it. Kathy Burke shines, as she always does, and Jake McLaughlin gives a flawless performance as an ex-con seeking a second chance. And I gotta say, yeah. I'd be like, it's one of those times where I read that and I'd be like, no, you've nailed it, right? That, that's exactly it. So, people, it is out on Monday, the 24th of January. You can get it from Amazon, Apple, Sky, Virgin, Google, just all them places you pick up your VODs. You know what I mean? So, hey, as I said, look, if you like... um. I mean, they they did they say um, Hillboy eulogy, right? Which you know that's all right. But I would say if you liked My Life Without Me and stuff like that, then you know I I definitely feel that Home is going to be a film for you. Okay, so flawless performances, you know, a, a raw story. People, what more do you want, okay? 24th of January, go get you some home. Okay, people, so we draw to a close on another episode. But before we bounce, let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film. You know how we do, people. Well, it would seem that we are getting a new biopic, right? Um, and it is from uh, those funny or die crew, right? And it's about Weird Al Yokovic. <laughs> yeah, they're calling it Weird, the Al Yokovic story. Um, so they're going right into it all, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, what's it? We've got the weird, um, here's it go. The synopsis, torrid celebrity love affairs and famously depraved lifestyle and how he went from gifted child prodigy to the greatest musical legend of all time. <laughs> So, um, hey, that, that's amusing, right? So, Jokovic and Eric Appel wrote the film. So, um, you have that. And playing the weird one, Daniel Radcliffe. So, I mean, that's 
interesting. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he's got the chops for it. I don't know if he can sing. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, that's what's happening, people. That is what is happening. So it's, um, yeah, it's an a, a Ruku. Is that, I feel that's how you say it. A Ruku channel exclusive. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, now, another thing. So, man, I think it was two, maybe three years ago, right? Netflix had that series, Woo Assassins, right? Um, and, how? like, I thought it was done. You know, maybe they were going to do a second season. What I wasn't expecting, they're doing a film, Right? A, a film to tie it all off, uh, which will be dropping on the 17th of February. It's called Wu Assassins Fistful of Vengeance. And um, what they're saying is it begins after the events of the first season as restaurant owner Jenny Wa gets mysteriously killed. That prompts Kai Jin and his team to band together one more time to find a killer. Their mission sees them having to meet the Queen of Bangkok underworld in broad daylight. Bam, bam, bam. So yeah, if you enjoyed the series, you have that to look forward to. Something else that was a, a bit surprising... Right, so um, you know, Ron Howard and Brian Grazer have their Imagine Entertainment, which has turned out countless of you know beloved TV series and films. But what what's happening is they are selling right a majority stake in the organisation to an investment company in London. Right, which yeah, interesting. Right, because I kind of figured if anyone's gonna buy something like that, it would be you know another studio or a streamer, but no, it's an investment company, you know, they're selling um 70%. Right now, what they're saying is that um, you know, Howard and Grazer would stay on as shareholders. But I wonder how that might change operations. Who knows? Who the fuck knows, right? Um, now, Mark Foster has got his next film lined up, right? It is a remake of A Man Called Ove, which was a huge hit in Sweden in 2015. You know, it was an adaptation of the... Friedrich Buckman novel of the same name and it was actually the biggest selling foreign film in the US uh, you know the next year so um, yeah Foster is directing and Tom Hank Tom Hank Tom Hanks is going to be starring as Oove the old gentleman um He'll, he'll also be producing the film. 
you know so um yes uh dave mcgee is writing the script right um with gary gutsman frederick wilkstrom nickis castro and rita wilson also coming on board to produce uh so Ridley Scott, we know he's got his Napoleon Bonaparte biopic coming, and um, it was going to be called Kit Bag, but it looks like they have changed the title to just Napoleon, which, you know, I think I can kind of understand why. Right, because although Kitbag is a, is a is a good title and it's interesting, but I think a lot of people would be like, "What the fuck is that?" Whereas Napoleon, you know what I mean? People know what the fuck you're getting. You know what I mean? So it's a shame, but I understand. Um, it's an interesting one, right? So Tyler Perry, he's been in countless of big films. But he's also produced his own films, and one being his Medusa, Medusa, Medea franchise, which we haven't really gotten in the UK until now because there's a new entry coming, right? And it's coming pretty soon. The 25th of February, we'll see a Medea homecoming, and it's coming on Netflix. So, yeah, everyone will be able to see it, you know, no matter what country you are in. Um, now, Perry, again, writes and directs, right? It's the 12th in the line of these films, right? And they're saying that um, it centers around um, Medea's great-grandson's college graduation as hidden secrets and family drama threaten to destroy a happy reunion. Bah, bah, bah. So if you've enjoyed the previous outings, people, February 25th, you get another dose. So, man, Agatha Christie, right, uh, has wrote so many books. Poro and... Uh, Miss Marple being probably her her best loved creations, but she did write a few um, standalone ones, right? She did write some a few different pieces. One being is um, Endless Night, right? And Studio Chanel and a picture company are bringing that to the big screen. You know, Preston Thompson is going to be writing the screenplay. Um, the book is about a young couple in love who moved to a secluded property in the countryside of England. Once there, a series of strange events unfolds that turns their new romance into a harrowing nightmare that they must find their way out of. Oh, um, so this will be its second adaptation to the screen. Though the first one was 50 years ago. 
1972 that one dropped people so uh yeah andrew rona and alex heineman are gonna be producing uh so uh yeah people if you're fans of agatha christie that is uh something to look forward to so um listen when i first heard about this film i was a bit like eh what but then you actually find out what it's about and you're like oh shit you know what i mean so um you know kathy bates stars in it you know we talked about kathy this episode right um along with john malkovich lewis pullman right it's been directed by ken quapia um quapis uh it's written by andrew farut right and it's called Thelma. So it's about Thelma Tall, right, who is the mother of John Kennedy Tall, um, who wrote a confederacy of dunces, which happened to win a Pulitzer Prize, right, which you're like, huh, okay, which is crazy. It's a crazy thing, because essentially, um, the young tool, right? He committed suicide in 1969. 1969. The book hadn't even been published. Hadn't been published, right? He couldn't find a home for it. And so his mum, Thelma, made it her life's mission to see the book come to the masses. Which, man, that, that's a heartwarming fucking story, right? So with the help of some outrageous actions, she succeeds in getting the manuscript into the hands of writer Walt, Walker Percy, who's been played by John Malkovich, who then went on to champion it. The book was published in 1980 and became a widely celebrated cult classic. Stephen P. Wegner and John Lynn produce. But that is, you know, so 11 years after he died, she got it done, which is incredible. Incredible, people. But let us end on this, because um, Anthony Mackie is making a film, right? And, you know, yes, obviously, he's made a lot of films, but this one he is directing, right? It is called Spark, and it is about, I think, maybe an, a, a civil rights campaigner, pioneer, who most people don't know about, right? Claudette Colvin. Now, I knew about her, but he, he was... I didn't find out about it straight away. Right, this was something I was looking into something and I stumbled on this, right? Because essentially that the story about Colvin was she was the first to not give up her seat on a bus. Right? She uh, you know, what I mean, took a stand and yeah, kept seating, man, in, in Alabama, which is you know what I mean. Come on, right? But 
you know, she's a 15 year old and, you know, she, she's dark skinned and the civil rights movement, they were just a bit like, you know what? I think we're going to get more from Rosa Parks. But it happened nine months before the Rosa Parks incident. And that's not to diminish what Parks did. Because that was extremely brave as well. You know what I mean? But I don't think you should, you know what I mean, relegate Colvin to the shadows. That's insane. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, they're making a film about it, which... Yeah, that's incredible. It, it, it took this long, but I'm so glad it's happening, right? So, um, Mackie will also produce, along with Kelvin Akeem, Jason Michael Berman, and Mark Ambrose. Uh, Nicole R. Levy is writing it, um, and it's actually based on a book by Philip Hoos. Called Claudette Colvin twice towards justice. So, people, there you go. There you go. All right. So, boom, echo chamber done. Go check out those films. Home, people, because it was great. The other ones are already out. Enjoy. Yeah, watch it. Watch the videos on, on YouTube if you are just listening to the audio, and we will see you next week. All right. Peace.